you would, turn in your Bibles again to Genesis 1 and again verses 1 through 3. My father-in-law most weeks texts me and asks me what passage I'm going to be preaching on and he prays for me in that. So um, last week he texted me and he said, I, I spent so much time in just those three verses of just what all is packed into that. I'm not sure I'm going to be spending weeks and weeks on these same three verses, probably just this week and that's it. But I wanted to emphasize this biblical doctrine of the creator-creature distinction. It's very important for everything else in the, in the Christian life. It's where our hope is for the change that we seek deep in our lives. So let's go to God's word in Genesis 1 with that in mind. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you please Take this, your holy, inerrant, infallible word. Would you move in our hearts to see it for what it really is, that holy, inerrant, infallible word. That we would see these words as Moses directs as our very life. Jesus himself is the word who was with you in the beginning and then became flesh and dwelt among us. In him was life, your word tells us, and that life was the light of men. So bring your light upon us and fill us with your grace and power that we would go out with the weapon of your love, that your love would conquer our hearts and that we would look at people all around us differently and not see them according to the world's standards but see them according to your standards, that there are only two kinds of people in the world, those who are in Adam and those who were born in Adam but are now in Christ. Help us to reach those who are still merely in Adam and help us to encourage one another to grow into Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So last week we talked about the effects of this slap upside the head of God's encounter with me. He started it all, and therefore, he has the right to define everything in my life. Everything about the world all around me. Not me, him. A former president once said, we are the ones who have been waiting, we've been waiting for. Now, in some way, yes, there can be you can talk about that in terms of our taking responsibility for our lives. But responsibility for what? And towards what? He didn't have any answers. Well, he did, but not sure they came out of here. Certainly this world doesn't have any answers. Certainly I don't have any answers in and of myself. We need the firm definitions of our creator God. Our hope is not in ourselves. 
It's only in him. And I won't change unless he shows up. But will he change me? Will he do it? That's what this sermon is about. I can't change unless I believe the reality that God exists and that I'm not him. So why can't I call the shots? I can't precisely because I'm the one who call. <clears throat> I can't because I believe I'm the one who calls the shots and I can't be there before the beginning. And I can't speak things into existence out of nothing. Those two reasons. I can't change unless I believe in the reality that God exists and I'm not him. So why can't I call the shots? I can't precisely because I believe I'm the one who calls the shots. And I can't. I can't be there before the beginning. Verse one. Even though I want to be the master of the universe. My universe. If you cross my path, you'll experience my wrath. Right? It's understandable. I've only experienced what I've experienced all my life. So who made the biggest impressions on me? Well, other people. Regardless of how you end up. When I was in youth ministry, we, we talked about this an awful lot. That regardless of our influence or the influence of friends and peers or the influence of media... Parents have the biggest influence on their kids. Just a fact. Just a fact. They could be rebellious and not take your values. Nonetheless, you make the biggest impression. You're the first bigger than me person that they meet. However, each person is responsible for their choices and will be held accountable for them. Otherwise, we'd be going crazy just blaming the generation before. And the generation before that, ad infinitum. It's just not true. We all bless and we all carry the curse that we pass on to each generation. And we just pray for God's spirit to do his work in his time. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. God is not judging people except as individuals. And so because of that wickedness, we hear Satan's temptations and we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We're going to hear it. More explicitly in Genesis 3, but the temptation, you can call the shots for yourself. I mean, that's your experience, right? It's my experience every day. I have to make choices every day. But here's the truth. The true and living God is above and he's unaffected by time. Unaffected by time. I am below where time, people, events have all kinds of effects on my life. As much as I want to bend the law and make God think, say, and do things the way we think down here and do things down here and say things down here, in reality, he is absolutely inflexible. 
He will not bend. No matter what this culture says about human sexuality, no matter what this culture says about lies and extortion and whatever is good and whatever is true, the distance between what is good and evil is breaking down in this culture. And God is absolutely inflexible. He does not care what your background is, what your orientation is. He doesn't care. He is above time. He made it all. He has the right to define all things. He's inflexible in his character. He's not like us. Numbers 23, 20, 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And his character is immutable, unchangeable. Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Now, certain inflexibility in people can be off-putting. But believe me, you want a God who's inflexible. You know why? Because he's totally good. He's totally good. I mean... You want to change, you want to be more godly, right? Isn't that what Christians want? And how often have you been so discouraged when you recognize a sin or a sin pattern in your life and it comes up again and again and again after all your resolutions, after all your repentances, and you begin to wonder, is there any real hope? You want a God who's fixed and inflexible. That what he says he's going to do, he will do. See, because he's good, he's disposed to doing good things. Inflexibly. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No variation or shadow due to change. That's where his goodness comes from. Do you want a flexible God? Or do you want a God like Allah? That at one time he can accept your repentance. And then when you get up there, see, Allah says, ah, I changed my mind because I have a right to. Now, you want a God who's inflexible in character. See, in Islam, God is inflexible in his will, but not inflexible in his character. You can't trust him. That whole worldview is based on mistrust and a God who doesn't really love his people. Doing good to his children is what he loves. Matthew seven eleven. Jesus tells us, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, God's goodness directs the use of his omnipotence. He's good and he wants to do good by you and he's good for it. What shall we say? Romans 8, 31 through 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? Don't you want that inflexibility? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, in a sense, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Right now, we don't have all things, do we? But Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? He used to have a friend, and um, one time we were walking around town, and he, he's another pastor, and he said, Andy, just look around. One day we're going to own all this. It's true. He's arguing, Paul is, from saving us in Jesus, not that the saving is small, but that that salvation includes more than just being able to pass the judgment seat of God. It includes all things through him. If he didn't spare his own son, in fact, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. We worry about all these little things, right? If he didn't spare his own son, how will he not freely do this smaller thing? It's really what he's arguing. So, our uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question four asks, what is God? The answer is God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom, being, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That means that he's eternally existent that way. He created and therefore he began time. History is his story. I can't get back there to call the shots in my life. I am responsible, but I am not in ultimate control. I must make choices. But my natural stance is against him. Remember, I want to be master of the universe. I want the world to bend to around me in my natural state. And I can't change that attitude without him showing up in my life. Like we said last week, kind of makes me sound insignificant, doesn't it? Well, actually, no, it's the opposite. I'm very significant. God has shown up to me in revelation in the world. Romans 1, 18 through 20. That he's revealed himself through the things that have been made. He's shown up in Jesus, who is the word made flesh. Last week, we read from John 1, 14, right? And he is the only one who, as John 1, 18 says, who has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Do you see how big a deal I am and you are? Why is God going to all this trouble for us? And he's shown up in your life in the spirit who broke down that natural stance that you and I have against God because he's good. He didn't have to do it. But it's because he's good and rich in mercy. You want a God who's inflexibly rich in mercy, don't you? But Ephesians uh, chapter two, verses four through seven. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see how that's like creation? We were dead. He made us alive. Jesus, resurrection, dead, alive. God speaks, nothing is there. Let there be light. 
there was light. That's where your hope is. By grace, you have been saved. And so God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice that is past tense. We are already raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's why when we share the Lord's Supper like we did last week, we share it presently with Jesus. Now it's a little appetizer for the great marriage feast of the Lamb that's coming at the end of the age. But nonetheless, Jesus is here. He's here in the preaching of his word and he's here on his word put on display in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. And he, said, he does this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So yes, he's inflexible in his goodness. And so yes, we're all guilty and will be judged. But because he's inflexible in his goodness, he brings to you this offer of Jesus. He put his own son to death for you. You're not insignificant to him. So I can't call the shots because while I have a history, my history is within his story. I have a beginning, but my experience isn't enough. You don't want to depend on me or any other man or woman who only has a partial view of all the things in the world. He was there at the beginning. At it. He's sitting on top of the beginning. He's sitting on top of time right now. I could never be there because I'm flexible Subject to change, but he's not, and he's good. And that's good because I can't change unless I believe the reality that God exists and I'm not him. So why can't I call the shots? I can't precisely because I believe I'm the one who does call the shots. And I can't because I can't be there before the beginning. And I can't speak things into being from nothing, verses 2 and 3. Even though I still yell at traffic to no effect. I mean, really, this is another way of being master of the universe, isn't it? Our words reveal that we do expect and believe that words are effective, even though we find ours not so effective. Why? Well, if you look at verse two, he gets the plan working. There's a process of creation coming out of nothing. It's all worked out in his mind. He's ordering it together. He really puts a lot of thought into this. Psalm 139, 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You see, you're significant only with an all-powerful creator who seeks you out. And he does this out of love for you. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever, we have so much talk about identity politics and God isn't into that. He's saying, whoever, your background, your race, I don't care. I'm not like people on earth who care about such things. I don't care. 
because you are an image bearer of God. And I'm saying you're worthy of my time. You're not worthy of it in your own righteousness. That's why Jesus had to come. But you're worthy of it, obviously, because I'm taking the time to do this. That's how God, good God is. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And you see, his work is effective because from his side of things, it's so easy to get done. I mean, he, verse three, he speaks the word and it comes to pass. Let there be light and there's light. See, you can change as you seek him and as he comes close to you. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When we engage in these things by faith, yes, in and of ourselves, we can't do what James is talking about here. But we know that there's a God who loves us, who's good, who's inflexible in his goodness. So we're going to bank on that and we're going to keep coming to him and drawing near to him. And cleansing our hands, God, please, please cleanse me. Purifying our hearts. You know, there's no hope of that outside of Christ. When you're declared pure in him, and he talks about you double-minded. Of course we all are. But God is in the process of making us inflexibly single-minded as he is. See, we're responsible but God has written this story. Psalm 130, 39, verse 16. All my days were written before there was yet as one of them. Your thoughts are too wonderful, too lofty for me, Lord. See, we can't figure this out. But you can trust him. Don't worry about figuring all that stuff out. Leave that to the philosophers and the academic theologians. And they can't figure it out either, by the way. I've read a lot of their stuff. And I can't. But you can trust him. You know why? In that history, which is his story, he sent his son to take on your history and live for you to give you Jesus history for yours. The exchange. Jesus also took on your history to die for it. Your record of sin for his record of righteousness. Second Corinthians 521. One of my favorite verses. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God because he declares us that way. And then he works in us to make us that way. He spoke that history and uh, he spoke that into history. Like his word bringing light in the darkness, Isaiah 53 verses four and ten. Listen to what God put into his story. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted because he bore not only our sins, but our griefs and our sorrows. Yet it was, listen to this verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The only sinless man that ever lived. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Do you see where this goodness 
focuses. It focuses on the person and work of his son, Jesus, who was given for you. His history for yours. You going to take the exchange? Hope you already have it. That's what I'm assuming everybody here has done. If not, I'm calling you to put your faith in the only place where you have any hope of change at all in conformity with this great God who, yes, is going to hold us all accountable for all the sins that go against his inflexible character and will and word. There will be a judgment. There is a real hell. There is a real heaven. Don't you see the mercy of God, the richness of his heart toward you? So we have the create. Let me just end in this. We have the creator creature distinction. He's God and I'm not. That's the big argument, isn't it? It's always, you know, the arguments behind all the arguments that you see going on on TV. It's all about he's God and I'm not. But I'm going to say I'm God and he's not. By the way, it's not much different for us Christians. That's what the work of sanctification is. It's learning to settle that argument. We have that argument every day. And we beg God, please assert yourself. Make us remember your word. Melt our hearts. Give us a heart of love for you. Because look, there's no hope in me. I've let myself down so many times. I am so glad that I'm around you people. I am so glad that we have a God like this who's inflexible in his goodness and mercy. He's so inflexible that he would put his son to death because that is the only way he could get us to himself. See, because he is a God who does this. This is where your hope is. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's a living hope because it's alive as he is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this gets right down to what this creation is all about. The, the fancy word for this that the theologians and philosophers use is creation ex nihilo. It's Latin for out of nothing. It's creation out of nothing. And if he's good and he loves, that's hope, people. You can change and become more godly because Paul says in Philippians 1.6, it's all based on this ex nihilo principle. And I am sure of this, that he who began, again, your history, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You can rest assured he's going to take you all the way home. So I'm not the one to put hope in. We're not the ones we've been waiting for. We're lost. But you know what? He comes and finds us all the time. Our only hope is in his inflexible goodness. Don't let us call the shots. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that in our rebellion, in our sin against you, we try to call the shots every day. And while, yes, you have called us to live faithfully and responsibly, and so we pray that you would give us wisdom because we do make choices. Our choices are not insignificant. But God, you are in a program 
that like what Paul says, you began a good work in us. It's not done yet. That's why we're still here. So we ask, Lord, that ex nihilo, that out of nothing that is there in me, as Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's why you take up residence in my heart, Holy Spirit. Would you begin to do that work? Would you continue to do that work more and more in our lives? May we see us as what your word calls us to, to spur one another on to love and good works. Not because we are saved by those, but because we are saved, we are called and we do those things, those good things, according that are good according to your word, that promote life, that promote peace, that promote truth, and hold all those things equally. Don't let us call the shots, Lord. Help us more and more to look to your word and to make choices that are not insignificant, that are good for history, contributing to your honor and glory and for our good and the good of your church and the world that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen.